title is uh, Getting in the Boat with Jesus. Um, It's taken from John 21, verses 1 through 4. After these things, Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. There were together Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, and two of his disciples. Two of the disciples are missing, if you make the count. Maybe they were at the bait shop, or they were sitting in the dark somewhere, staring into space, or they were at the mall. They are gone. And Simon Peter says to them, they're sitting around on the beach, and Simon Peter says, let's go fishing. And they said, okay, we'll all go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the beach. This is after his death and the resurrection. And there he is among them again. They hadn't been fishing for three years. In the interim, they had heard God speak from heaven. They had seen people raised from the dead. Jesus had appeared to them after his own death. He'd done miracles. he taught them by words and examples. But like little boys, as soon as the teacher is out of the room, mischief is afoot. They are going fishing. Um, I am a teacher myself, and I can imagine what he must have thought standing there watching them. He had emptied the teaching bag, and they were fishing. And as a good teacher, you use all your skills. You address all the learning styles. You incorporate technology. You're engaging. You're funny. And you dispense this wealth of knowledge gathered from years of study. And after a great Socratic discussion, you ask for questions. And some kid says, Uh, should we have been taking notes? (laughs) Oh, no, I reply. For everyone else, this assignment is mandatory. But for you, this is totally optional information. Uh, will this be on the test? No, no, there's no test. This is just a hobby of mine. I I can talk about the Byzantine Empire for hours. I have a little French girl in my 11th grade AP history class, and she knows nothing about American history except that Lafayette helped us with some little revolution. And the real revolution was the French Revolution. And she has difficulty translating English into French and back into English, and she has trouble with the vocabulary, and she processes everything out loud. So every day there's something that happens. So we were discussing uh, the colonization and the voyages of discovery, and I finished, and I said, are there any questions? And she said, so, so, so it wasn't just Magellan then. Magellan and Sir Francis Drake circumcised the world. <laughs> there was a moment of silence. <laughs> and then one of my boys said, no, Camille, that would really hurt a lot. It's circumnavigated. Oh, yeah, she said, like like sailing and things, yes. Very different. Um, 
I have uh, some slides that Scott's going to throw up here uh, so you can see some of the idiocy that occurs in a classroom. And these are, this is a, uh, I got this on an email and it's called Failing a Class with Dignity. These are questions that were on an exam and actual answers. Briefly explain what hard water is. Ice. What type of attractive force or bond holds the sodium ions and chloride ions together in a crystal of sodium chloride? James Bond. <laughs> Explain why phosphorus chloride, PLC3, is polar. God made it that way. Find for X. <laughs> Expand A plus B to the nth power. And there is the expansion. I think that's the last one. So I can imagine how Jesus felt standing on the beach watching his students that he had so carefully instructed. These men in whom he had entrusted his life and his wisdom. These men on whom one day the world would turn. And they are flailing about under their own power. We really can't blame them for this. They're living life as they've known it. They're returning to the familiar. They're going about their lives depending on themselves, doing what they've always done. They are working things out under their own power. And do we really do anything differently? We read a spiritual book or a passage of scripture or counsel with someone or sit in service and hear some motivational message And we're committed to circumnavigating the globe under this new God-given power. No. We go fishing. To his credit, there were no timeouts. There was no writing on the chalkboard. We are fishers of men, not fishers of fish. He might have murmured idiots under his breath, but he loves them and you don't abandon the people you love. And so uses the time to teach them again. He smiles and calls out. You don't have any fish, do you? Cast your net on the other side of the boat and you will have a catch. They've been out all night. They have nothing. The boat is empty. He calls from the shore. Throw out your nets on the other side and you will have a catch. The lesson here is that a life separated from Christ is an empty boat. Any attempt at living life on our own, in our own fashion, with our own knowledge, with our own skills, with our own power, is foredoomed to failure. 
The question of what is life and what is the meaning of life, how life should live life, must give way to the question, who is life? Life is not a thing. It is not a concept. It is not a person. purpose. It is a person. Life is not fishing, even this, if this is what you do and you've done all your life. Fishing is what you do, but it is not your life. Jesus did not say, I have life, I will show you life. He said, I am life. And therefore, it is impossible for us to live apart from him. Life without him is an empty boat. In the Tao Te Ching, a Chinese philosopher says, life is a journey, to be great is to go on. To go on is to go far. To be far is to return. And if we want to live life, we need to get out of our own boat and stand on the shore with the source of life and giving up our own directions and purposes and make his directions our purpose. Then we will go far. Without this, we sit in our own little boat and come up empty. Jesus is the starting point. If we don't believe that, then we'll sit in the boat, in the empty boat, and realize one day, as Thoreau frames it, to come to the end of our days and learn that we had not really lived. I've been reading a small book by a Jesuit uh, priest, Jean-Pierre Cousaud, uh, he lived in the 1600s. It's called Sacrament of the Moment. Um, he waited to publish, the, it was published after his death because he knew he'd been, be burned as a heretic if he had published it in his own time. But he talks about the moment, living the moment with Christ. He says, most of us are very ordinary creatures with humdrum lives, work to be done and day filled with trivial decisions. Our lives are made up of petty affairs, some pleasant, some boring, occasionally some tragic. There is a great deal of pleasure in life, but also much that is irritating and tedious. But if we welcome as the expression of the will of God everything that comes to us, we can accept what we cannot avoid and endure with love and resignation those things which cause us weariness and disgust. That is what being holy is all about. The events of each moment are stamped with the will of God, and if our lives are tied to the life of God, then we will find what is necessary in every moment. Without him, we have life dictated by the world. With him, we have life in the moment. Life is not found in doctrine or tradition or habit. It is found in the presence of God's will. But God knows us. And with infinite patience for our willfulness and our stupidity, our leaving him to make our own way after he's shown us the way and schooled us in life and whispered to us the truth, we have left him to make things under our own power. We are fishing on our own. But he calls us back. Children, you don't have any fish. And we say, no, 
I don't have any fish. I have no life without you. It isn't that we shouldn't go fishing. The point is that all of our tasks and pleasures and diligence and passion and tragedy, we must be in the boat of life with Christ. We must be in his will. And if we are in his will, then the boat is not empty. There are four things that you don't need if you are on the sea in the boat with Christ. An anchor, oars, sail, or compass. If we are in the boat with Christ, if we are out to sea with him, then the anchor would only hold us to where we already are. And we would struggle at the oars to labor to our own destination. And we would decline to let the wind of the Spirit blow us. And we would use the compass for our pointing our own way. But if we are in the boat with him, he charts the course. The poet Rainier Maria Rilke wrote to a young aspiring poet, Save yourself with some sense of beauty. Describe it with loving, humble sincerity of use. Call forth the images from your dreams, the objects in your memory. For if your daily life is poor, do not blame God. Blame yourself. It is because you are not poet enough to call forth the beauty in life. For the creator of life has no poverty or indifference of beauty. All life is his life. If we are in our own boat and under our own power, charting our own course, anchoring where we please, we have a poor substitute for life. But if we are in his will, sitting in the boat with him, lives are changed. We create a workplace of happiness. We raise our children with honor and dignity. We mete out justice and mercy and honesty and in the pattern of God. We learn to live in him amid the mundane and trackless and petty moments and make them beautiful. So then we come to verses 15 through 19 when Jesus asks Peter whether he loves him. They were probably speaking Aramaic. In Aramaic, there's only one word for love, rachim. So the meaning is discerned from the context. The Hebrews have 11 words for love. The Greeks have four. And then they came across this single word, rahim, or the 11 Hebrew words. The Greek scholars translated these verses, coupling the intent of the words with the context of the moment. And they translated the passage with two of the four Greek words for love. Filio, brotherly love, and agape, uh, love of a higher calling. So when I say in Greek, I love you, that would be filio, and when I love God, that would be agape. And so if I said, I love my crunchy peanut butter, you know I am not taking it for walks in the park, I'm not putting it on the pillow at night, oh, peanut butter baby, I love you. No, that is a different, that is storge, which is affection. I have affection for my peanut butter. But Jesus and Peter are using one word, the single word, Rahim. And all the disciples knew exactly what he meant by that question. Love is love. 
Love for God and love for our fellow man is the same thing. Is it really Christ-like to love God and treat our fellow men like a piece of furniture? Jesus is saying, no, love is love. And he's asking Peter for a commitment, a surrender of his will. They have all come full circle. It, It hit me while I was reading this. They started on this beach. This is where he called them. And now they are back on the beach. They've come full circle. That is no coincidence. They've come a long way together since Jesus called them and said, follow me. And they've experienced exaltation and tragedy and life and death and power, humility, guilt, forgiveness. And now a morning or two after the resurrection, here they are where they began sitting around the fire Jesus had built, eating the breakfast he had cooked. And he asks this question, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter looks around at all he has loved, all the things which have made him happy. There's the boat. He had loved it ever since his father had taught him to fish. He had never doubted his love of the boat and the sea and the wind, the strength and subtleness required of the net. He was a fisherman. He had mended and cared for the nets, and he could feel the cord slick in his hands. And he he loved the village, and he loved the men at his side, those men he had walked the shore with for three years. He looks around at the circle of men with whom he had shared this life, And he looked back in the eyes of Jesus and said, Yes, I love you more than these. Feed my lambs, Jesus says. He calls to us. Stephen, son of Tom, do you love me more than these? Leanne, daughter of Rick, do you love me more than these? His disciples had been born of these words, follow me. And to follow is to set sail without a compass, or or anchor. To follow is to commit to the will of God. To follow is a quest into the unknown. Um, Vicky and I taught in Singapore. And in the middle of a monsoon, a real monsoon, not, not this thing that we have here, It was raining buckets for days, for about a month and a half. Every day it would rain so you couldn't hardly see across the street. And we had bussed down to a place called Little India for curry, and we were going, heading back, and I'm trying to flag down a taxi and uh, instead of waiting for the bus. Vicki is standing under an awning, but she is already soaked to the bone. Now, that's hard to imagine her hair out of place at all. But she was looking like a drowned rat under this awning. I was standing on the curb with the wind bending my umbrella, soaked from the waves being churned up by the passing traffic. And unless a a taxi driver had industrial-sized window blades or wiper blades, he would not even see us. 
I was having no luck. I was my usual impatient, cursing self. And I was standing next to a very large Muslim man dressed in a black robe, standing next to me in the rain without an umbrella. And he noted my frustration, tapped me on the shoulder and said, Salah, have peace. All is good with God. And I thought to myself, I wonder if it's God's will for me to beat this guy to death with my umbrella. He smiled as if he understood my thoughts and he said, Salah, all things are in God's will. Our part is just to accept them. Salah, brother, Salah. Christians make me laugh. You think God exists to do your will, but it's not that way. And then he turned and waded across the street. I looked up the word after we'd given up the taxi idea and taken the bus home. And Arabic has three words for peace. Salam, submission, hudnah, truce. But the word the old Indian had spoken in Urdu was salah, which translates as reconciliation. He was asking me to reconcile with God. He was telling me that the peace of life lay in the choice to reconcile with God's will. To stop pulling the oars and checking my compass and yelling at the waves and wind and reconcile myself with God's choice for that moment. Salah. Give up. Find peace. I couldn't do it then because my view of God was that he did not really have everything in his will, that he only intervened to give course corrections. And so most of my life was up to me. And it was up to me as a good Christian to pull on those oars. I still can't get my head around everything being in God's will, like moving shopping carts so I can get the best parking space. But I am much closer to the understanding that if I reconcile that all of my life, the small and large, the sickness and health and disasters and awards and mundane and extraordinary, the shopping cart in and out of the parking space, the monsoon rain are all in God's will. And then it makes it easier for me to reconcile with him and answer the question, Stephen, son of Frank, Do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. And it is easier to find my life inside the other words. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. If you care for those I love, then you love me. We are no different than the disciples. We believe in him, but do we follow? We've experienced him, and yet we're out fishing. We read the words follow, and yet we want to determine what precisely is that? What does it mean? We confine it into our own little definitions that will not allow us any comfort and will allow us to mostly sit on a fence and follow our own lives. If we actually took this conversation, literally we would have beached our own boat long ago and we would be living the lives that we are bent to feeding and caring for the children of God the women and children and downtrodden that fall into the category of lambs, the brothers and sisters that are sitting here with us today that come as sheep.
If you love me, you will love each other. If you love me, you will follow me. If you love me, you will care for the world. God does not give us our lives for ourselves. He does not give us our gifts for ourselves. If we stand on the shore with him or get in the boat with him, then we travel through light and darkness until we are no longer concerned with the course. We are no longer centered on ourselves. We are no longer get our value in our comparison with others. We discover that not only is God all around us, and all that happens to us is in his will, we will sense his sanctity in other men, and we will discover that his sheep are sitting next to us. They are also homeless in a park. They are standing in a black robe next to me in a monsoon. If we seek holiness, we must understand just what he means when he says, follow me. It means giving up all of our aspirations, all our political ideology, all our doctrinal positions, abandoning everything and getting in the boat. Omar, son of Nestor, do you love me more than these? You and I are made to find our identity in Christ, to become the tools to bring men to reconciliation, to Salah. A man becomes known by how far he travels from his beginning, and so comes the quest. Now, I love the quest. Think about it. If you've ever read those knights in shining armor and King Arthur and the singleness of purpose and the knights who sought the Holy Grail and the pioneers that crossed the Great Plains and Shackelford and Franklin attempting the South Pole, John Glenn braving the bleakness of space. These are human endeavors of momentous courage, true grit, abandonment of the shore, unwavering determination. Why not a spiritual quest? To risk everything, to abandon all things, to seek. If we will not get into the boat, if we cannot risk everything, then where is our courage? Where is our faith? Our lives are shaped by compass points and by the ends that we live for, and then we become the very image of our desires. But he says, if you love me, follow We hold on to what we built. We see the small life that we have fashioned. But he says, give it up. Follow. We cannot be recreated because we cannot give up created things. But he says, give them up. We cannot launch our quest because we can't give up the known for the unknown. The disciples had known Christ. They'd been taught by him. They'd recognized his life as a way to God. They'd recognized his life as the truth of God. They'd recognized his death as the life of God. They stood on the shore drenched in sweat and sea salt, gathered around the dying embers of the fire. They knew his name, but this was not enough. 
We stand on our shore recognizing Him for who He is. But that is not enough. He says, you must follow me. You must become me. My life is the path to presence with the Father. My life is the truth of God. My life is the pattern to peace. I am life. I am the way. I am the truth. And as you leave all you know and journey to the quest, then the path ends at the Holy Grail, the presence of God. Recognizing Him in the beginning, becoming Him is the journey, and the presence of God is the quest. Brian, son of Rodney, do you love me? Follow me. So we stand on the shore and say, yes, I love you. We're in the boat. Now what? We have to go forward now. Well, the answer is in John 20, 21. It is after the resurrection. The third time he's appeared to them. And Jesus therefore said to them, peace be with you. As the fathers had sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Every believer answering the question, Who do you say that I am? receives the Holy Spirit. But here they are, affirming Christ as the Messiah, indwelling with his presence and the Holy Spirit. And what are they doing? They're still fishing. To follow the quest, they need to be empowered. And so comes what Jesus promised in Luke 24, 49. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And so the equipping of the quest. And we must go then to Acts 2.2. And when the day of Pentecost had come, They were all gathered in one place, and suddenly there came a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house, and all that were filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter stood up among them and raised his voice and declared to them, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified. And he said, Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord God shall call to himself. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and signs and wonders took place. And all those who believed were together, and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions, and were sharing them with all, as many as might have need, Praising God with sincerity of heart. They answered the question, Who do you say that I am? You are the Messiah. You are God. They stand on the beach, and He fills them with the Spirit of God. And they follow Him. And yet, After he's gone, they're fishing. They have no power. The power is missing to live this life. It has to come 
when the Holy Spirit falls upon them. And they shared and sold all their property and possessions and lived in community with each other. So Vicki and I are part of Heinke's uh, small group. And the people in this group are committed to the quest. They are open. They are seeking. And every once in a while, we'll talk about going forward on the quest and actually becoming the Acts 2 church. And this becomes a focus of conversation until someone suggests that we actually do sell everything and move in with Bruce and Stacy. And then Stacy says, so who brought the treats tonight? For some of us, it may be part of our quest to give up everything. But for most of us, that's not it. We answer the question, who do you say that I am? We understand that he is life and there is no life without him. We answer the question, do you love me more than these? And we commit to the journey. The journey is there in front of us. The quest is there in front of us. I am not as far on this quest as I should be, as I could be. I paddle around in my own little boat sometimes, drifting in world. Out of the boat altogether. And sometimes he requires me to put the boat on my shoulders and portage around rapids. And sometimes he makes me run the rapids, rapids and I'm bailing like a madman. I'm not as far as I want to be. I'm not as far as I can be. But I am committed to the journey, to the quest. And when I look over my shoulder, I see the distance I have come. And I am far from my beginnings. Life is a journey. To be great is to go on. To go on is to be far. To be far is to return. Today, what I'm asking is that we all commit to this quest to become what he has for us. There is no life without him. We must get in the boat. The questions are there. Uh, Most all of us in this room, we've answered the question, who do you say that I am? We believe in Christ. We believe that he is God on this earth. And most of us have answered the question, do you love me more than these? And we have committed to the quest. But most of us are still standing on the beach or we're in the boat fishing for ourselves. We need to be Fishers of men, we need to be in the life of Christ. We need to have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Those are the three things. Who do you say that I am? Do you love me more than these? And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And if those things are not settled for any of you in this room, I know they're not always settled for me. I can always be better go further. Um, Today's the day to settle those things. Father, we ask your presence in our lives.
We want to answer the question, do you love me more than these? We want to go on the quest with you. Lord, help us to accept your will in our lives. Shower the Holy Spirit and power unto our lives. We know you will give us all things that we ask. All things that are in your will for us. Your presence, your power, your glory, your life in us. Father, we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.